Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual biblical symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8 to 9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Fenton for a live recording of the Bible as Literature podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In the Gospel of Matthew, knowledge of Scripture determines the value of a Levitical priest. What are the specific rules of Leviticus and what do they mean? What is the priest commanded to do when he encounters a leper? What does the Levitical sign of skin disease teach the priest about the household of Abraham. In the story of the leper's healing in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus demonstrates the answer to these questions through his obedience to the rule of Leviticus, placing accountability for the plight of the outcast squarely on the shoulders of Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priests. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 265 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We have heard Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, give instruction. And within his instruction was contained the Law of Moses. People think of the New Testament as replacing the Law of Moses. That's incorrect. The New Testament teaches both the Law of Moses and the prophets. They are the content of the instruction that Jesus is giving. What he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount is evangelizing. He is carrying this teaching to those who have not received the law of Moses so that they too can be made clean by this instruction. Being made clean by this instruction is something that's essential. Let's remember the themes that we've had so far. One through four, the kingdom of heaven was the major theme throughout those chapters. Five through seven was the Sermon on the Mount, where the kingdom of heaven is mentioned, but it's not as common. And the theme we hit on is that there is no space allowed for the human ego. You're not even allowed to do nice things for Jesus if your ego is involved. The way to make sure that your ego is not involved is to be assured that obedience is the source. This is where slavery and the giving up of one's own will is essential. And if we bring these two ideas together, then we see that the only way to be a citizen of this 
kingdom of heaven is not to be a Jew or a Gentile, but to completely subsume your will into the will of God. You no longer have your own will. You only do the will of the king of this kingdom, and you carry that will out through your actions. And anything you would do that would allow you to stand out, you have to put away. You're only allowed to stand under the king, not stand out as your own person. This distinction lies at the basis of the entire Sermon on the Mount, that it can no longer be about your will if you want to be a citizen of this kingdom. You know, Rich, we've heard Christians from different denominations make fun of the Old Testament, in particular, the details of the Levitical Code. And it's unfortunate, because this attitude is born out of a kind of fundamentalism, which ironically is what everyone thinks they're critiquing when they make fun of Leviticus. But this fundamentalism has to do with our inability to see the law, the regulations of the law, in the story of the Old Testament as a character in a story. The regulations in Leviticus were given for a specific purpose at a specific point in the storyline of the Bible. We were talking just this past Tuesday with Father Paul about syntactical function, or what he calls grammatical function, and the order of words, not just in a sentence, but in the narrative. So the law, the Levitical codes, the details in Exodus, all the things that we have to read through carefully in the Old Testament, they come at a specific point in the storyline. This is what Paul is talking about in Galatians, when he talks about the law and the expanse of years and so forth. Once you understand that, it becomes possible for you to see how you cannot abandon or abort Leviticus, even though you're not bound to follow all of the specific regulations. You still have to deal with what Leviticus is teaching because the Lord cannot go back on his oath, and the words written in Scripture are the Lord's promise. So Leviticus, like all of the other books of Moses, stands with authority, which is why not one iota will be dismissed. And I mention this, Richard, because here in chapter 8, Jesus is going to act out his obedience to his Father in the text of Leviticus chapter 13. This is why I like lectionaries, because systematically the church has to go through all the readings. Now, sadly, most churches, even if they do have a lectionary, don't go through all of Scripture. And if they're going to skip one part, we know they're going to skip the second half of Exodus, because the first half of Exodus is exciting, and then it gets very boring and architectural. Then we've got Leviticus and all the regulations that go under there, and then we get numbers and all the statistics, and this gets really boring. But the only people who are faithful to this text are the Jews, because they read straight through the Torah, and they don't skip anything, and they read it liturgically so that every word is read. The fact that these groups have decided, you know what, we're actually going to put ourselves under this text, and we're going to read the text, whether we enjoy it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether we get it or not, we're simply going to underscore the fact that it is this text that is God's will and not our will. 
because our will has to be put aside so that it is only God's will that is heard. Even if we don't understand God's will, we still have to sit and listen to it. This is the beginning of wisdom, of putting aside one's will and approaching the text with or without understanding. We have this idea post-enlightenment that everyone is supposed to understand the Bible from day one. And what came of this? Children's Bibles which are inane, and they're mostly about the pictures, and they cut out all the parts that might be difficult for children, and they make it all understandable, but it's no longer the text of the Bible. And how can I prove this? Children who are brought up on children's Bibles, if you read the actual Bible to them, they don't understand it. (laughs) It doesn't help. The only way to understand it is to internalize the words of Scripture, like you and I have said, Father, and once you've internalized those words, then you just have to chew on them for years and years and years until you understand them. But you get the words first and then understanding. They don't necessarily come at the same time. But you submit to the words and then hope for understanding later. But you never decide, oh, this is what's important and this is not important because then you're referring to your will as the reference. Before we jump into chapter 8 of Matthew, I want to read the first two verses of Leviticus chapter 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. Now, we're not going to go through Leviticus chapter 13 today, but I want to mention a couple things. First, that in chapter 8, Jesus seeks to be obedient to this instruction contained in these two verses. But also, by making chapter 13 functional here in chapter 8, Matthew is inviting the Gentiles hearing his gospel to go back and read Leviticus. And by now, after working through the genealogy in chapter 1, you should have enough Hebrew to be able to look at Leviticus in the original language. If not, you can work with the Septuagint, which will force you to learn the Hebrew anyways if you read it correctly. The other thing about chapter 13, and we won't spend a lot of time on it here today, but it's worth mentioning. In all of the regulations surrounding leprosy, the priest is forced to check again and again and again whether or not the sick person has leprosy to give every possible opportunity for this person to be reintegrated into the community. This is really important when we talk about healing. It's, again, about making something whole. When religious people talk about purity, they speak about it in terms of exclusion. But Leviticus is talking about healing in terms of inclusion. And I find it interesting that all of the people who dismiss Leviticus, under the guise of their erudite critique of fundamentalism, are very often extremely judgmental about the outsider. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Rich, you spent a lot of time talking about the will of God at the outset of the podcast, I think these two verses belong to you. Thank you, Father. Yeah, this is where we get to see what comes after the sermon. First of all, 
Multitudes, you can't trust them. The multitudes are what Caesar is after. It is not what Jesus is after. The multitudes cannot be trusted because they don't understand. The multitudes are easily impressed by firework shows, but they don't think deeply. They don't understand. Jesus has been teaching for three full chapters about how the human being has to submit their ego to God, and Jesus himself is submitting himself to his Father. This is how things begin with the multitudes, and then, of course, the first thing that happens is a leper wants Jesus to heal him. After all this teaching, he doesn't have a clarifying question. He doesn't work to fulfill this law that Jesus has said. The first thing he wants is a healing. The healings are also suspect. Yes, Jesus dispenses healings often, but they're always tied to a word. They're always tied to a teaching. And in fact, they are the manifestation of the teaching in the human being. The teaching makes the person whole. The teaching is the one, if I can refer to what you said a moment ago, Father, that integrates the hearer into the community, into this kingdom. It's the hearing of the word and following it and doing it. And so now, of course, Jesus can heal him, but not the way the leper thinks. The healing came in the last three chapters where Jesus said, submit your will to the will of God, set aside your ego so that the one ego that counts, the Lord's, can be central. By making Leviticus 13 functional here, there's a powerful implication in this short excerpt from Matthew, namely that the church is only made clean when the one whom we deem unclean is brought into the community through the instruction of the Torah. This says a lot about Gentile churches. It says everything that Scripture has to say about the relationship between Jew and Gentile. We are to call no man unclean. We have to maintain the totality of Scripture. We have to keep it whole. We're not allowed to desecrate it by adding to or taking away from the content of Scripture. Remember, we are not to take what is holy and throw it to the dogs. But ultimately, if we keep the content of Scripture whole by neither adding nor subtracting, we will make the body of Christ whole by sharing the bread of this teaching with all the nations. And this will become very apparent in the story of the loaves in the Gospel of Matthew. So this word clean is a technical word, katharizo. It means to make clean, to be in submission to the ordinances of God's law, his instruction, his Torah. But the key here is that what Leviticus is driving at is the inclusion of everyone into the fold. This is so difficult because we confuse our isms with the content of the text all the time. If you ask someone, is Christianity inclusive? The answer is invariably no, because Christians are not inclusive. The same could be said of Muslims or of Jews. We all build our religious cliques. And even when we try to make nice with human words, deep down inside, we think we're right and everybody else is wrong. It's inevitable. This is how the human mind works, because we have to justify our choices and defend our identities. But that is not what Scripture is doing, either in the Old or New Testament. In both cases, Scripture is pushing for the same thing, which is table fellowship. 
to the extent that we make the case on the podcast that Scripture is fighting Roman imperialism, we are also quick to point out that it disallows rebellion against Roman imperialism, because then you would risk harming the weaker brother. The cross is about your loss and granting victory to your enemies in the hope that your loss would teach them the critical importance of losing in God's instruction. Because to bring a leper into the community, Richard, is very dangerous. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So here we see Matthew demonstrating the power of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the instruction that Jesus has been giving. And we're seeing how this instruction, like the instruction that was entrusted to the priest, to Aaron in the story of Leviticus, this instruction has the power to heal. The difference is that Jesus, being the one who fully submits to his Father's will, is the one who can actually do what Leviticus is calling for in chapter 13. Right. We've been saying all along that it's about the Lord's will, the Father's will, and that Jesus has to submit to his Father's will and to his Father's word, even when Jesus speaks his masterful sermon. So then when Jesus' next words after this great sermon, I will, fellow, is it Jesus' will then and Jesus' word that heals? Or is it the will of the Father and the Father's words? So we're on this precarious limb right now, hoping that it's going to hold, because so far it's been about the Lord's will and Jesus submitting to it. Did Jesus stop submitting? And that's why it's about his will now? We won't know until we get to the next verse to understand how Jesus' word and Jesus' will fits with his Father's. Here, I'll just give a hint that the centurion is a very important function in the Gospel of Matthew, because the centurion gives orders, and he has authority to do so. But the authority doesn't come from the centurion. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus is being strictly obedient to Leviticus, and at the same time using the opportunity of the lepers cleansing as a sign for instruction to the priests who should recognize from their study of Leviticus what is happening here. On the one hand, the leper is not allowed to inflate his ego, be healed, and then go do whatever he wants. He's not allowed to blab about it, so he gets the residual glory of Jesus because he was healed by this great man. He has to submit to the word of the Father that was there before Jesus began his sermon. He has to submit to the word of Moses that came from God. The leper is not allowed to let his ego go amok. He must submit. But even more so, Jesus does not allow his action or his word to be the final word. Jesus does not allow his own ego to be part of this equation because he says, don't tell anybody. So there is no glory for Jesus in this action. The only one who is to get glory 
is Moses who bears the word of the Father. And that's the only one. Jesus says you're healed, but this is not about you. This is not about me. This is about submission to the word. I submit to my Father's word. That's why this happened. Now you are in the dangerous position of having received this because the judgment is upon you whether you're going to submit yourself to the word of the Father or whether you're going to submit to your own ego. The leper now has to make a decision whether he's going to be submissive to the one who healed him and the word by which the one who healed him healed him. The operative phrase always when you're dealing with the New Testament is command chain. And in Matthew, the command chain is very important. In 1 Corinthians, which deals with protecting the body politic of Jesus, the command chain is essential. And here in Matthew, once again, it's all about the hierarchical pecking order. If you are a soldier in the field and you have a mission, you don't ask your platoon to carry out their orders. You speak on your authority, which was loaned to you. I'm telling you, we have to take that hill, period. This does not mean that the commanding officer decided that that was the mission. The commanding officer was given a mission. They were given a mandate, and they are now carrying out that mandate on an authority that was loaned to them. In the field, your commanding officer is not going to say, this is what my general told me to tell you. He's going to say, this is what I'm telling you. It works the same way in corporate America. The only time you invoke the boss of the boss of the boss is when you need to emphasize your authority in the situation. And that is the way in which Jesus is saying in the previous verse, I will, as in, I will it. It is not about Jesus's will per se, because Jesus submits himself to Moses and what Moses commanded. And the leper must submit to Moses's will because this is what Jesus commanded. As you say, Father, it's the pecking order. Jesus submits to his father, but the leper must submit to Jesus because of Jesus' submission to the Father. The only way to be a citizen of this kingdom is to submit always to the will of the king and to his ministers who bring his will, who preach his will, who teach his word. By submitting to them, it is no longer about our ego, but only about the ego of the king. This has everything to do with receiving instruction and giving instruction. So if you are a pastor or anyone who teaches scripture in your community, pay close attention. Jesus teaches by his obedience to every iota and every kereya. Not just obedience in the sense of doing it, but obedience to the letter of the law by paying attention to the detail and being 100% faithful to the details. This is critical. In doing so, Jesus made the weakest link in the community, someone who was on the edge of the community, outside, trying to come in, someone that no one respects and everyone hides from because they're afraid of getting sick. Jesus is making this little one, a martyrion, to give instruction to the priests who are supposed to be the erudite 
intelligent intellectuals in the community who have authority to carry out the rituals of the community. Think about it. It is Jesus's smallness before his father that makes this little one a powerful sign of the father's will unto instruction for the supposed educated leaders of the religious cult. That is how scripture works. And this is what it means to set aside food in Galatians for the weaker brother, for the poor, the needy, and the outcast. It's not the leper who's poor, it's the priests. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.